message. The message is the same. But every now and then, God needs to remind us of even the principles. Amen? Principles. And so Matthew chapter 21, 1 through 11, describes the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ back into the city. And we know that there, approximately a week later, Jesus was crucified and began the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so look what it says, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And the Word of God reads, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on... Uh, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was steered up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You'll notice that in the, the Luke's, in Luke's response to this account, they, uh, the Sadducees and the, the, the teachers of those days, they came and they said, rebuke your disciples. And you would have heard that part where Jesus would have said, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. But in all of this, Jesus was trying to teach how in his entrance, they were going, they started off as fans, and then in the end, they would end up being a mob. And as we begin Passion Week here as a church leading up to next Sunday Easter, it's important that we cover the important message that came before crucifixion, and that was Jesus Christ coming back into the city. And I want you to understand that Jesus Christ had no fear of what was going to happen to him coming back into the city because he knew exactly what the plan of God was, his father. But the question that we have was, did the people that received him as he was coming on the donkey and as they placed the palms, trees, and the clothing on the floor as a sign of royalty, shouting in praise, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Did they truly know what was about to occur? Did they know who they were receiving? You know, when we think about how the Lord has come into our lives... We have been changed, how we have been transformed, how we've been delivered, 
how we have received his love, how we have been activated. We have been given a purpose, a reason, a power. But most of all, church, we have been forgiven. Amen? We were forgiven, we were restored, and we were given salvation. But one thing is certain in every single life this morning, and it is that what we thought he was coming in our lives to do that day when we received him was just a fragment of all that God had planned for us. That is why after your first miracle, immediately the master started to reveal his true work in your life. And guess what? God isn't done. God is not done with your life. God is not done. He's going to complete it until the day of his coming. He shall perfect his work until the coming, until his coming for us. The point in this time concerning the life of the Savior is interesting, interestingly, very much applicable for today's church. And we see the Savior being received in such great praise and worship, known for the miracles he had performed. I believe that they, have re they had received Jesus with such great magnitude of praise because he had just healed Lazarus. They had heard, they had heard the miracles that Jesus had done. And so it was easy for them to receive Jesus. Knowing the miracles that he had done, he was tangible. Jesus Christ was a tangible God. He was somebody that they could get close to. A friend. He was hope giving, uh, you know, to people. To everyone that came across him, they were impacted for life. And even in hard truth, they were impacted. They accepted and received him as the true king, the savior. But then in the end, many of those who had received him in Hosanna in the highest were the same that screamed, crucify him. How? Why? And what would get those that received Jesus with Hosanna in the highest? To turn so quickly against the Lord Jesus Christ and scream, crucify him, crucify him. Why would those that showed such great honor and reverence to Jesus quickly a, late, a week later shout, crucify him? We are challenged daily by this. By the work of the Holy Spirit as we receive the Son into our hearts and worship his triumphant entry into our hearts, our lives. We know him as a miracle worker. We know that Jesus is the multiplier in our life. He that sets man free of their bondage. But the moment that who he is begins to challenge who we are, we all crucify him. The moment that who he is begins to challenge who we are, we begin to yell, crucify him, crucify him, instead of Hosanna in the highest. We, grow from, we go from being fans to being a mob. And just as many received him in this passage, as many soon rejected him. We are living in times where the person of Christ is challenging the world. The person of Christ is challenging the United States of America. Come on, somebody. The person of Christ is challenging America. The person of Christ is challenging countries. The person of Christ is challenging 
government. The person of Christ is challenging the worldly principles. It is challenging the foundation of the world. The person of Christ. And there are many that once started by receiving him with palms and clothing on the ground. Shouting Hosanna in the highest. They say that this was a land that was uh, established on godly principles. But the moment that godly principles and the son Jesus Christ begins to challenge its formality and its structure. The ones that say we were established on the word of God are the first ones to yell crucify him. And I'm telling you something church. We're getting to a time prophetically now in these last days where we are seeing the ones that called themselves true turning their back on the Lord turning their back on Jesus that one point they were saying Hosanna in the highest he who comes in the name of the Lord the son of David and now they're saying no crucify him crucify him and then there are many that are still trying to salvage the image and the truth of Christ by redefining who Jesus is but there was a reason the ones who praised him and coming into the city later were screaming, crucify him. They were doing it because it's what happens when we don't get what we want. We all crucify him when, you know, it's what happens when we don't get to keep our ways. We all crucify him when it's, uh, you know, when truth begins to shine in our life. We all crucify him when we're challenged to change in our life. We out crucify him when our traditions and our old man ways of man are challenged by the person of Christ. We out crucify him. The Bible declares that Simeon at the dedication of Jesus declared that Jesus, he looked at Jesus at, at his dedication and he said, this child will be the rise and the fall of many in Israel. He didn't say he's coming to shed blood. No, he said he would be the rise of many in Israel and the fall of many in Israel. Look what it says, chapter 2 of Luke 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Look at that. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. How many are waiting for the consolation of his people? Amen. We're waiting for his consolation, right? But how are you waiting for the consolation? Are you waiting saying, do it my way, God? Or are you waiting saying, the way God brings it? Because this man was truly waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Look at this. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God saying, Sovereign Lord. As you have promised, you know, dismiss your servant now in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Look at this. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people in Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was spoken about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary. Look what he said to his mother Mary. Behold, this child is appointed to cause the rise and the fall of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul as well. Hearts are going to be revealed with this child. Come on, somebody. Hearts are going to be revealed with this child. 
This wasn't no uh, 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 thing that just, just ended up happening. No, it was destined for the faces of people to come out to light. It was destined for those to, who yelled Hosanna in the highest to turn their hearts and say crucify him. It was destined for Peter to reject Christ as he was carrying the cross. It was, it was destined for there to be a rejection. You know, how true is this? Is Jesus accepted still? Has anything changed? Many today in the church crucify Yahweh crucify him when they are challenged when they are confronted we celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus then changes establishment and truth comes and then we begin to mob against the Savior we begin to mob against Jesus we begin to mob against the love that healed us off our bed dead breath we, we begin to mob against the grace that took us out of our addiction we begin to mob against the grace that saved us out of our pit of hell we begin to mob against Against the Savior that said, Come ye, all ye that are heavy and burdened and laden, that I will give thee rest. Don't you remember? It was the Lord that saved you. It was the Lord that healed you. It was the Lord that took you off the street. It was Jesus that took you off of the side of the road. He was the good Samaritan. How can we forget and begin to yell, crucify him? The triumphant entry of Jesus. We learn that how quickly it is for Fans to turn into a mob. But we learn through the triumphant entry of Jesus. We learn did Jesus seek acceptance or assertion? Jesus didn't come seeking accept, uh, to be accepted. He came to assert his kingdom. In verses 1 through 7 of Matthew chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find the donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on, their, put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. But look at this. Behold, your king is coming. Behold, your king is coming. Jesus was entering Jerusalem and asserting his authority over Jerusalem. He wasn't coming in like a Macy's Day parade. He wasn't coming in like to do a publicity stunt. No, he was coming in asserting his kingdom. He was coming in asserting his authority. Come on, his rightful authority as the king of the world. And Jesus Christ did not come into the city pulling a publicity stunt like some type of early Macy's Day parade. Not only was his entrance intentional, but it was establishing. And it was the king asserting his authority over his kingdom. You can't get mad at Jesus when you invited him into your heart then all of a sudden he begins to make moves like the Lord of your life and you say hey 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 that they, you know they don't don't do that God say hey I came in not looking to be accepted I came in asserting my authority asserting my kingdom asserting who I am in your life it's either I am the Lord of your life or I am not the Lord of your life it's either I am the king of your life or not the king of your life it's either I am sitting on the throne of your heart or I'm not sitting on the throne of your heart you see, you know, we've received Jesus in today's culture saying, you know, Jesus, I want to accept you. No, Jesus accepted you. You forgot. You got it twisted. 
You ain't accepting the Lord. The Lord accepted you. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. Behold, your king is coming. And he's not coming to be accepted. He's coming to assert his kingship. And we many times marvel, suck our lips, respond like, what? When the king that we received with palms and praise and needful anticipation asserts his lordship in our hearts. Don't confuse the donkey for weakness, church. Don't you confuse the donkey that Jesus rode in as weakness. Although the donkey, you know, was a sign of peace. Did you know that? When a king walked in, uh, rode into a city on a donkey, it meant peace. If a, a king rode in on a horse, it meant war. So look at this. Don't you take Jesus coming in on a donkey representing peace as weakness. He was asserting his rightful place as king in peace. And let me tell you something. There doesn't need to be no bloodshed. Jesus will not force himself into anybody's life. When Jesus Christ, when we received the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't because we were scared of bloodshed. It was because it should have been because we realized we had sin we could not pay. That is why I have a problem, you know, with the message today that Jesus Christ is coming back because we want to scare people into heaven. You'll save people the wrong way if you start scaring them into heaven. We don't want them to be saved because of fear. We want them to be saved because they know they can't pay the debt that is hanging on their life. And there is only one way of which their sins can be paid. And that is by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, somebody blessing it. If, if I'm lying, if I'm blowing smoke on you this morning, just come on, call me out. But if I'm telling you the truth, each and every one of us this morning, we got saved. Not because we're going to miss out on heaven, but because we had a burden on our back that we needed God to remove from us. We had sin on us that we could not pay. But Jesus... Jesus Christ went to the cross. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. Some of you ought to shout and rejoice because Jesus Christ went to the cross. You better thank God he came into your city. Thank God he came to your city. Thank God he came in. Thank God that he wasn't like Jonah fighting. I don't want to go back to Nineveh. You were Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go back and preach. And man, these people are doomed. Why even try? I'd love for you to look at yourself in the mirror right now. And just remember when you were doomed and the Lord had hope for you still. You were doomed and destined and on the road with no more exits leading to hell. Hallelujah. Just let me put it like this. You were on a road where there was no U-turns no more. <laughs> no more U-turns. Then all of a sudden, God sent his angels, you know, to construct an exit for you to take a U-turn. Just for you in your life, just for you, the blood, you know, constructed an exit for you to make a U-turn. You know why? Because the devil had already constructed for you to head to hell. He didn't want to give you a way back. He didn't want to give you an opportunity for grace. But God, rich in love and mercy, even though we rejected him, even though we went from uh, Hosanna in the highest to crucify him, he still loved us in spite of us, in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. 
But don't you take the, 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 the donkey as weakness. God was coming in asserting his kingship. He was asserting his authority. Why is it that we suck our lips and we marvel when Jesus starts to assert his lordship in our lives? We start to get angry at God. We start to get offended. You need to quit getting offended with the Holy Spirit. How can you get offended with the word? Get offended with me. Get offended with the things that I do. But when it comes to the word of God, how can you get offended? How can you get offended with truth? That's why when the disciples were there and they turned their back on Jesus, John chapter 6, verse 66, 57 through 66, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And many of them didn't like, they said, this is a hard saying. And they put their, turned their backs on Jesus and Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, do you guys want to go away too? Don't, don't, don't be crying to me that this is a hard saying. When it's the word, it's the word. You need to quit pouting. You need to quit crying and grow up. Suck it up. Come on, suck it up and love God that he's not like a man that he should lie. And there we are, my feelings are hurt. You need to quit getting your feelings hurt. God is God, amen? You know, he's not like a, a man that he should lie. He's not your neighbor. He's not your friend. He's not your brother in church. He is God. He created you. He fashioned you while you were in the womb of your mother. He thought of you before you weren't even a seed yet. Come on, somebody. Bless the name of the Lord. He had you in mind. How can we be offended with our creator? Jesus Christ comes, comes in and they start getting offended and they go from being fans to mob. Luke's version counts it like this in the 19th chapter, the 30th verse, saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Try getting on a donkey that's never been sat on. You tell me how that goes. Actually, record it and post it on Facebook. I'll watch it. I will give you, I will share that. I will get a lot of views as to you sitting on a, on a brand new donkey that's never been ridden on. This point alone displays the intentions of Christ, and it is a prophetic intention. It is a prophetic intention because when Jesus Christ comes back, when Jesus Christ comes back, will he be received by such like one that can be mounted upon? Is Jesus Christ going to come back with him mounted on you? Can you be mounted on? Or will you be the generation that says, my way, God, or the highway? It is a prophetic description of what Jesus Christ is looking for. They were wanting Jesus to be on a horse. And let me tell you something. There are many today that want to be like the horse of war. And Jesus saying, no, my kingdom is a kingdom of peace. So you're not understanding this. It is a kingdom of peace. It's either they want it or they don't. But I'm coming back for certain. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. There are many people that wanted for Jesus to come in, you know, striking people dead and with a sword on a horse. But Jesus saying, no, I'm going to show you I'm coming back on a donkey, which signifies peace to let you know that there's no need for bloodshed. It is either you want me or you don't want me. But if you want me and you let me come into your heart, then you will allow me to assert my authority in your life. I will be the Lord of your life. You know, I say something. I bow down to the king of kings. 
kings and the Lord of lords. It is his way and not my way. All God and never me. It is necessary that I decrease so that he might increase. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. I can never win. It can never be my way. But there are a lot of people that are in the church and say, my way, my way, my way, my way, my way, my way. And God is saying, it'll never be your way. It'll never be the way that you want it. I am the king. I am Jesus. I am the Messiah. Come on, somebody. Bless the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ comes back in, but before he starts to, he begins to assert his authority. What does he say? He says to his disciples, go into the city, and when you go into the right away, you're going to see a donkey that's never been ridden. Grab that donkey and bring it back to me. There had to have been some previous uh, some previous connection with Jesus in the city where he said to somebody, hey, I'm going to be back, tie the donkey, and there's going to be some disciples to come and grab it for me, so just be ready. Right? So the disciples go in and they say, wow, Jesus is a prophet. <laughs> now, there are times where, look at this, there are times where you hear the voice, a prophetic voice over your life, and you better obey what the prophetic voice tells you. But there are other times where the word is right before you and it asks you of something and the word of, and, and you have a, a decision to make. Will I respond and will I accept Jesus? There are times where we're not looking, we're not reading in this Bible, right? I'll give you two instances. You're not reading the Bible and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit convicts you of something and says, do that. You'll hear the prophetic voice of the Lord crying out into your heart to obey. You have a decision. I'll obey God. You obey the voice of the master in your life. But there are other times when you're reading the word and the word stands out and tells you to do something. You're convicted. You have a decision. Now, Jesus was in the city before, and I believe that Jesus had already set up. And he said, set the donkey there, tie him up. My disciples are going to go in. And he told his disciples, go into the city. And right when you walk in, you're going to see a donkey that's tied up. Untie it and bring it to me. And if they ask you, why do you need this donkey? You're going to say, my master, the Lord needs it. Right away, when he said the Lord needs it, they released the donkey and he, they let him take it back. And I'm telling you something. Jesus was representing his authority already. When a king came, he was representing his authority. And Jesus was already asserting his authority over the world. Let me ask you something. Humbly, do you think Christ came into your heart for acceptance? Ask yourself the question. Do you really believe that Jesus came into your heart? Do you remember the day Jesus came into your heart? Do you really believe Jesus came into your heart to be accepted by you? Jesus came into your heart to assert his lordship. As long as you have the mentality that Jesus, I'm, I have to accept you, Lord. We have the wrong definition of what accepting the Lord Jesus Christ is. It is not like, I give you the privilege. No, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ is, I have no more options. I am dead. So I accept, in other words, I forfeit <laughs> me for you. I pray that this begins to change the way that you live for God. Because when you start living this way for God, there is no ifs or buts when it comes to what God wants to do in your life. Jesus was the first one that went through the cancel culture. 
That's the best way that I could put it. He was the first one, you, you know, to, to go through cancel culture. Because he was received in the city with Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts doing things that ticks people off. And they, well, we don't like him no more. Yeah, we're removing his endorsement. Yeah, if you've seen my post yesterday, you would have seen, you know, the, the devil can have Nike. I don't care. No matter to me. It's interesting that the world will always get the brands. And Jesus always picks the donkey. Jesus always picks the donkey. You know, the, the ones that are going to stay always pick the horse. Jesus said, no, I, I'll ride on the donkey. You know, just, just bring me the 1980 Corolla. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. I, I, I'll ride on the clouds in, in, in glory, and you'll see that it is glory. See, you know, truth is not defined on how luxurious it is. Truth is defined on, and his magnificence is, is defined on how, uh, how certain and how truthful and how non-denying he was when he said, I'm coming back for a church without blemish and without spot. He was not lying. Now, I don't care if he comes back on a bike. But I don't care if he comes back, you know, uh, walking. I don't care if he comes back rag. It doesn't not matter to me. What matters to me is that he fulfilled his word. That's something Muhammad didn't do. That's something Buddha couldn't do. That's something Confucius couldn't do. That's something that the, the Mormons couldn't do. That's something Jehovah's Witness couldn't do. But only Jesus Christ could do it. Only Jesus Christ said, I'm coming back. And you said, well, pastor, he hasn't come back yet. You remember when he resurrected on the third day? And he ate with his disciples. He was with them for 40 days. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. There has only been one that has been seen in the flesh after his death. And that is that person is Jesus Christ. I don't care about cancel culture when it comes to Christ. There is no cancer culture, cancel culture that can attack the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's still on the throne, church. The tomb is still empty. Come on, bless the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ won anyway. You know, they try to cancel him. They try to take the endorsement away, yet he's still resurrected. And he's still seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's still seated in glory. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. We learn about the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus Christ is king and he was asserting his authority to the world. We learn about the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ that he was tying up loose ends. Look at verse 8 says, most of the crowd, somebody say most of the crowd, they spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the palm trees and spread them on the road. Matthew 21 records the triumphant entry and then immediately, look at this. If you go on reading past these beginning verses, you begin to see what Jesus started to do by tying up loose ends before he is crucified and ascends to the Father. Matthew 21 records the triumphant entry. Then immediately it follows with a series of key things that were needed and on God's agenda and what I believe created the turn of hearts towards Jesus. Number one, what was the first thing that Jesus began to tie up loose ends after his entry back into the city? He cleansed the temple. You remember that? He cleansed the temple. Matthew 21, 12 through 13, right after his entry, 
12 through 13, 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought, bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seat of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be a, called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Look at that. You make it a den of robbers. You know, this was no uh, 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 twinge of temper. This was no just, uh, uh, you know, like Jesus was uh, a bipolar. Jesus was doing key defining things after his entry. Jesus was asserting that his house was a house of God. Amen. But he was declaring that his own house, according to his will, would be a house of prayer. But Jesus was asserting that he would govern the temple life. Not those that walked among the people. That Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church. That Jesus Christ is the owner of the church. That Jesus Christ is the savior of the church. And you know what? It made those religious people that walked among them, you know, in high regard, you know, it diminished them. It began to show them that you are but man, but I am God. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. He began to do things that began to, you know, uh, create hearts to turn against him. Not only did he cleanse the temple, number two, he cursed the fig tree. You remember that? Significance, same chapter, Matthew chapter 21, verse 19. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. He cursed the fig tree. What is he saying? The fig tree represented Israel and Israel was barren, was not bearing fruit. It was not bearing fruit. And the king is not happy with the fruit of his kingdom so he curses it. And I'm telling you something. This was prophetically something taking place. And, you know, you have to understand this. Jesus was really, really doing things to tick people off. And that's what happens when Jesus comes and starts to assert his lordship in our life. He begins to tick you off. He begins to pull up the carpet with all the vasura under. He begins to open up the closets you like to stuff all your trash in. He, he, he starts, you know, looking under your bed. He starts to open your drawers all the way open and look at the back of your drawer. I'm just calling out all your hiding spots. But why does God do this? Because if he's going to come back for a church, it has to be a church without blemish and without spot. He needs to make certain who is the Lord of your life. Jesus Christ didn't come to be an addition. He came to be your whole life. He didn't come to be another thing on your shelf. He didn't come to be another thing in your wallet. He didn't come to be another thing on your mind. He didn't come to be another uh, thing that you do in the week. He, he came to be your week. He came to be your day. He came to be your hour. He came to be your life. And I think that sometimes we treat the Lord like another thing on our shelf. We treat him like another thing in our refrigerator. We treat him like another thing in our life that we get to do on Sunday mornings. No, he needs to be your life. He needs to be everything about you. Jesus Christ needs to be everything about you. And he cursed the fig tree that did produce no fruit. 
What did he say about producing no fruit? What cannot produce fruit? What is not connected to the vine. What is not connected to the vine does not produce fruit. So what does he do? He cups it off. He prunes. The vine dresser works. And I'm telling you something. When the vine dresser comes into your life, don't expect him to say, it can stay. No, if it is displeasing before the sight of God, I'm just going to let you, I'm going to just let you know in advance, you are going to have some long conversations with the Holy Spirit. And let me say, the Holy Spirit will not budge like your friend. It will bother you in the morning. (laughs) It will bother you in the midday. It will bother you in the night. It won't stop bothering you. Not like your friend, like, well, we got to agree to disagree. There ain't no agreeing to disagreeing with the Lord. (laughs) It's his way or nothing. You got to understand this. He curses the fig tree because it doesn't produce any fruit, right? But not only that, if you go to Matthew 23, and you read this on your time, Matthew 23, 2 and 3. Then Jesus begins to call out the fallacy of the religious leaders. He he starts to call them out for stealers and liars and cheaters as what they were. Verses 2 and 3 of Matthew 23 says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they preach but do not practice. Look what he calls out the fallacy of the leaders. Jesus was really, really turning over some tables in the city. But the verse 13 of the same chapter, what does Jesus say about these leaders? He said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Jesus Christ didn't come to close the door on people. He came to open the door for people. Look at this. Jesus Christ didn't come to close the door on people. And he calls the fallacy of these leaders. He says, you guys close the door, shut the door on, uh, uh, on people's faces. Knowing you won't go in, so nobody else can go in. Jesus said, I didn't come for that. The entry of Jesus was what? Calling out the fallacy of the religious leaders. I thank the Lord that he came into my life, opening the door. And not treating me as if it is impossible to go through the door. Grace has made it available for us to walk through the door. The veil has been torn. Come on, somebody. I just want to just remind you, the veil was torn. Amen. The veil was torn. We can come boldly before the throne of God, the throne of grace. Through him, we can come boldly before his presence. We can be restored in his presence. We can be loved in his presence. We can be given life. You know, and and just let me say this. You might have $5 in your bank. Doesn't matter if you have faith. All can be given to you. Doesn't matter who you are to society. No matter what job you got. No matter what uh, part of the city you live in. No matter if you're on the west side, east side, north side, south side. If your heart belongs to Jesus, you got the rich of the kingdom you got the kingdom in its fullness come on somebody bless the name of the Lord he calls out the fallacy of the leaders but what we learn about the triumphant entry of Jesus is the crowd was actually compromised I'm getting ready to finish here in the crowds verse 9 of uh, chapter 21 says and the crowds that went before him on that uh, on that followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we see the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ being of praise and honor, right? We see them praising Jesus and honoring Jesus. And, but many of the same who praised him going in, yelled crucify him in the end. In chapter 21 through 23, those three chapters, 21, 22, and 23, is not a compilation of many instances of Jesus. It's actually one big story. These three chapters tells us uh, how fast the crowd was compromised and turned against Jesus. You know, let me say this. Matthew 23, 37 through 39, the end of chapter 23, reveals a lot of detail as to how Jesus even seen the turning of the hearts to the crowd as he was speaking to them. 37 through 39 says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you really say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do those words look familiar, church? The Bible says Jesus said that Jerusalem will be desolate until they meant what they said at his entrance. That the city would be left desolate until what they said, they really meant it. And I'm telling you something. Jesus Christ begins to put us through experiences and his lordship begins to challenge us so that we really mean Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, when Jesus Christ comes back for his church, it will be those. It will be those that have. It will be those that have learned to really say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, we go through these trials and tribulations in our life and we feel like test after test after test after test as if when is it ever going to finish? Serving the Lord is hard. Have you ever felt like that? Like serving the Lord is hard. I do good one day and then the next day I'm struggling. And then the next day I'm doing great and I go a couple of days, you know, encouraged and man, just pushing forward. And then all of a sudden again, I'm discouraged again. And, and it kind of seems as if the life we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is like a roller coaster. No, what God is doing is he's asserting his lordship. And, and, and just understand this, as Christ is asserting his lordship, he's really making you, really making you say it like you mean it. It's easy to say when Jesus Christ comes in, Hosanna is the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's easy to say it at the beginning. It's when Jesus starts to clean the temple. It's after Jesus starts calling out your fallacy. It's after Jesus starts calling out the cheating and the lying and the stealing. Your ways that we begin to learn what it really means to say, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When you're about to give in and you don't give in, you've just learned. Don't say, man, why did I have to go? Th just say, I've learned how to really mean it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what it means to expectantly wait for the coming of Christ. Because we are literally waiting, saying, God, I've been through all of this not to miss you. The fact that I will be standing, hoping that I am able to receive at the revelation of Jesus Christ to be lifted up as part of the church. Isn't that each and every one of our promise that we have, that we want? We want to be lifted up as the church when Jesus Christ raptures the church. That's what we want. The life that we live and everything we go through is just proving that to be what you really want. Every time you want to give up, but you don't. Every time you want to throw in the towel, but you don't. Every time you can go back, but you don't. What you're really saying is, I'm really proving what I said when he came into my heart. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What you're really doing is proving that you weren't lying when you said, Hosanna in the highest. And I don't know how tough life has been for you or what you have been struggling with. But brothers and sisters, count it all as joy when you are to suffer these things. For you are suffering them for the sake of Christ. That is why it, His Word says that we participate in His sufferings when we suffer. That means your tears are His tears. That means that your struggle is, was His struggle. But as you overcome, just as He has you overcome. Look at this. Do the words where Jesus said, you will say it again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It looks familiar. And understand this, there was a crowd of loyal followers who remained loyal to Jesus. There were many that accompanied Jesus from Jericho and other places to where Jesus was. But the reality is, is that there was an explosion of public sentiment that was also alive with expectation that Jesus was the Messiah from whom they had longed for for many centuries. This was so, but not the way that they had expected. You see, even the disciples who constantly thought Jesus' kingdom was going to be a political one. They began to fight and they began to say what? Do you remember the disciples said, fight as who is going to sit at the right hand of God? And who's going to be at your right hand? And who's going to be at your left hand? Who's going to be your right hand man, Jesus? Who is the greatest? See, they thought, even the disciples thought that this was a political entrance. It wasn't. They were expecting a shedding of blood. And as they saw that Jesus was not the warrior king that they had expected, enthusiasm began to dwindle. Let me say this. Don't allow your enthusiasm for the way you receive the Lord to begin to dwindle when Jesus starts to show you the opposite of what you thought you expected from Him. 
The moment that we are challenged in our relationship with the Lord, don't let your enthusiasm dwindle. Oh God, why did you have to open that door? Don't let your enthusiasm dwindle. Oh God, why did you have to challenge me in that area? Don't let your enthusiasm dwindle. The same way you received him saying, thank you Lord for coming in my heart. You ought to thank him as well when he calls things out and challenges things to change in your life. When he begins to turn tables over. When he begins to call out things as the fallacy of what they are. We, we our enthusiasm, our love and our faith for the Christ that came into our city. We, it cannot dwindle. That faith needs to remain alive. We cannot uh, be compromised. You know, I'm telling you something. There was something interesting here because we see how the crowd was compromised. And if we are not careful, let me tell you, church, the world can compromise the heart of the church. We cannot seek for the public opinion to establish the Christ that we are running after. If you want to know about the Savior that has come to the world, read your word. Know who he is here. Because many will come in his name. Many will come in His name. This past Wednesday, I spoke on Luke 17, 20 through 23. But do you remember when Jesus said, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered, then the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, He said. And He said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out and do not follow him, Jesus said. Do not go out to them and do not follow them. What was Jesus saying? The time is going to come. Well, you won't need to find me in the stars. You won't need to find me in a building. I'll be in your heart. You see, they thought that Jesus was coming to establish stones for his throne on earth. When Jesus in reality was coming to establish his throne in their hearts. Now we know he's coming back to establish his kingdom on earth. <laughs> Amen. But at the triumphant entry, it wasn't about establishing kingdom on earth yet. It was about establishing his kingdom in their hearts first. And right now we're waiting for kingdom to establish on earth. But the question is, have you allowed him to establish his kingdom in your heart first? Has he come in as the king of your life? Is he still the king of your heart? I want you to stand to your feet with me. This morning is Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. Is he sitting on the throne of your heart? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's a personal question. Have you been dealing with being offended? with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are there areas of your life that God is challenging you in? 
big part of you says, I don't want to change that. I don't want to change there. I don't want to let that go. And God is saying, I've come not to be accepted, but to assert my lordship in your life. It doesn't change. He came in being a healer maybe in your life. Maybe the Lord, you met the Lord Jesus Christ at a time where you were spiritually broken and you needed to be repaired. God did that. But I want you to know too that the God that came into your heart maybe some weeks ago or months ago or years ago or days ago is still the same God that is in your heart right now challenging you to change in some areas of your life. That our prayer would be this morning, God, continue to sit on the throne of my heart. I am not offended. Come in. Establish your kingdom. I am yours. Right now, just raise your hand right now. And as God begins to challenge. And mountains are still being Still being loose, God, we believe, and yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. Bodies are still being raised, giants are still being slain. God, we believe, and yes, we can see that. Wonders are still what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. Set our hearts. Set our hearts on you. We need a move. Come on, say miracles happen. And miracles happen when you move. Healing is coming in this room. Miracles happen when you move. Heaven is coming. Heaven is coming. Come on, say Miracles happen when you move. Healing is coming in this room. Miracles happen when you move. Heaven is coming. This is a move. So this is a move. This is a move. Yes, Lord. This is a move. This is a move. This is a move. This is a move. Father, this morning, your people are here this morning, God. You see their hearts, Lord. And you want to be enthroned on the hearts of our lives, God.
That is your throne, God. Our hearts, God. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I've never given my heart to Jesus. You're listening online, you're saying, Pastor, I need to give my heart to Jesus. And this time is for you. The Lord wants to come into your heart. He wants to come into your city. And He wants to establish His Lordship in your life. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me. Believe with me by faith. Say, Lord, I come before you. I recognize my sin. But you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for all of my sins. My past sins, my present sins, and even my future sins. I believe, Jesus Christ, that you died and you rose again on the third day. Come into my heart. Change me. I repent of my sins and declare you as my Lord and Savior. From this day forward, and until your return, in Jesus' name, amen. Father, right now, the hearts that have just received you, God, Lord, build them up, God. Give them your strength, Lord. Give them change and transformation, God, that as they have received you, Lord, that they would be built up in the faith, God. Lord, there is a church here ready to receive them, Lord, to nourish them, God, to watch them be healed, Father. Restored, God. Lord, with open arms, you are there constantly, God. Don't let the condemner of the heart of the brethren, Father, come and remove them, Lord. Lord, that when they get tough, God, that they would remind themselves and remember that you are the God of mercy and the God of hope. You are the God of forgiveness. You are the God of all sufficient grace. And we give you thanks and we give you honor. We give you thanks and honor. Now all through this house, you're listening, just raise your hand. As our pastors, they go out and pray, Sister D, if you could help me. Pastora Howland, Pastor Ricardo, Pastor David, just find two or three people to pray with. Sister Rachel, if you can help me pray. Our youth pastors, pray over your youth. If you feel challenged, God is challenging you to change some things in your life today. With God, all things are possible, church. Come on, come on. Give it to God. Give it to God. Give it to God. Give it to God.